Hey there, it's Susan Pierce Thompson and welcome to the weekly vlog. So sometimes I find myself pondering and I get asked by other people as well, why do we develop this addiction but not that addiction or that addiction but not this addiction? Why are there people who are getting clean and sober from drugs and alcohol who can seem to take food or leave it alone? Uh, they're not addicted to food, but they do have some sort of susceptibility to addiction in general. We know they have an addictable brain because they've gone off the rails hard with drugs and or alcohol. Um, why do some uh, food addicts uh, have a difficulty with caffeine um, and some others don't. It's interesting, right? There's so many things we could be addicted to. Uh, there's all kinds of behavioral addictions now, gambling and shopping, and there's all these um, technologies that are so sticky and addictive, right? Internet gaming and I don't know, sometimes I get sucked into free cell solitaire and I click and I click and I play and I play. Research shows that even um, just the repetitive motion of clicking a mouse, each little click, each little press of that finger releases a tiny amount of dopamine in the reward centers of the brain. Um, yeah, it's, it's really interesting, right? A genetic susceptibility to addiction. And let me just pause here. Um, it's not just genes that make us susceptible. There's also an environmental factor. So, um, when they've looked at, uh, genetics versus environment in the development of addiction, it looks like, um, absolutely addiction runs in families. Um, so does alcoholism for sure. And if, um, you take, folks who aren't um, genetically susceptible, but they've had a really intensely um, uh, uh, just traumatic childhood, some percentage of them develop a susceptibility to addiction as well. So anyway, it's always a genes plus environment interaction. Typically, when we look at the nature nurture issue these days, it's always complicated. But you know, even if someone is susceptible underlyingly, uh, that's not a guarantee that they're going to develop any addiction in particular. Um, I often say, you know, I've had a lot of addictions um, to most drugs, alcohol, caffeine, nicotine, infatuation, food. Um, and, you know, I don't care at all about shopping. Um, I've dabbled with gambling, but I, I'm not a gambling addict. Um, and these days I can have some exposure to gambling. For example, every Thanksgiving, um, we play poker late into the night and, uh, I'm super excited about it. I always try to win. I always come close to winning. It's very frustrating to me that I've never won that game. Um, but yeah, I, then I, you know, um, I keep thinking that I'll, uh, play more poker through the year to get better. And I don't, you know, I'm not, I don't have that pull. I don't have the pull toward pornography. I can, you know, watch some pornography and then not, and not care about it, um, one way or the other. Um, yeah. And of course I have a very susceptible brain. So why do some people get pulled in to pornography, to gambling? And I, I seem to be able to take those or leave them alone. Well, I had an experience this last week that brought the issue of the development of an addiction right to the forefront for me. And I wanted to share it with you and just highlight some of the lessons about 
uh, addiction development, like the wiring of an addiction in the brain that I think are illustrative from this little thing that happened. So the last vlog I shot, I was on writer's retreat. And I was in this cabin when I shot this vlog and uh, I, I got snowed into that cabin and I was alone in that cabin. I didn't leave the house for uh, the five days that I was there. My writer's retreat was actually 11 days. I moved after that cabin back up to the city of Rochester to another Airbnb and stayed there for the duration. Um, but before that, I was in this cabin. I got snowed in on the first night and I just stayed put and um, my circadian rhythm got wonky. I was staying up late and sleeping late and um, I got really lonely. I got really lonely and I was just staring down this book. It just felt hard to put my butt in the seat and work on this book. And I was alone and there was no sun. It was cloudy day after cloudy day after cloudy day. and. It was kind of a stressful environment. I was talking um, on my weekly mastermind, Bright Line Eating Mastermind group call about this. And one of my mastermind group members said, that's what my whole year has been like. And uh, it it really dropped me in because, of course, I live with people. I live with my husband and my kids. And, um, you know, it really dropped me into the experience of folks who live alone during this COVID lockdown pandemic, um, pandemic lockdown. Uh, yeah. So if you've been alone this last year, my heart goes out to you. I found it really hard to be alone for these 11 days. I am an extrovert and it, it, it was lonely. It was hard. And there were a couple of puzzles in this cabin in the woods. And on day two or something, I, I pulled out one of those puzzles. I, I was eyeing the puzzles. I had this feeling like, oh, maybe I shouldn't start a puzzle. But I really needed something to do uh, other than write. I can't, you know, I wasn't writing around the clock. So, um, so I pulled out a puzzle. I did that puzzle. It was a 500-piece puzzle. I started the second puzzle. It was a 1,000-piece puzzle. I got about halfway through it before I had to check out of that cabin and switch to the other Airbnb. And on the way up to the Airbnb up in Rochester, I stopped by Barnes & Noble and I bought two puzzles. And I had the feeling while I was getting them that it was kind of like buying binge food. Like it felt a little bit, a little bit like that. So I bought these two puzzles. I showed up at, um, at the Airbnb and I talked with my writing coach on the phone on the way. And I said, okay, I got two puzzles. I already knew that I had to, uh, put some boundaries around my use of these puzzles. Use, right? <laughs> Not doing of the puzzles, using of the puzzles. So I talked to my life coach and I said, I got a couple puzzles, but here's the thing. I'm just going to use them as a reward. I'm, I'm going to write. And when I get a certain chunk done, then I'm going to allow myself a certain amount of uh, time doing a puzzle as a reward. She said, that sounds like a great idea, right? Sounds super healthy, right? <laughs> I get to the Airbnb. I don't even unpack. I just carry my stuff in the door. I crack open the first puzzle and as I do it, I can feel myself feeling out of control. Like I, I couldn't wait. I needed to unpack. I needed to eat dinner. And I had just promised myself and my writing coach that I wouldn't even start the puzzle until I'd done a certain amount of writing. It all went out the window and I opened this puzzle. 
and I couldn't stop doing it. I did that puzzle for 13 hours straight all through the night and I finished the next morning at 7.30 in the morning. I'm not even kidding. I pulled an all-nighter doing this puzzle and I watched the night unfold and there was a certain amount of distress and then the the calming, the treating of the distress by doing more puzzle. Like, like um, this puzzle was 750 pieces and it was perfectly titrated to my skill level. And I could just, if I just looked for a second, I could find another piece. And dopamine is um, a search find neurotransmitter. It's the neurotransmitter that releases as we have uh, the anticipation of a reward, the process of seeking relieves it or releases it. And then when we find, when we find and uh, procure, it gets released as well. And puzzles are incredibly su- suited to uh, a steady drip of dopamine. I could feel it in my brain. And I was distressed about my writing. I had a chunk of the book to finish that was scary to me. And now I want to back up and talk about the principles of addiction development that uh, that I think this example sort of can speak to. I actually don't remember liking puzzles much as a kid. So that's the first stage of addiction development is um, a period of indifference or non-use or non-exposure, right? Some period of time where uh, early in life, maybe uh, it's just not an issue, right? And then there's a period of wiring up that needs to happen, like exposure, just general exposure. You may or may not really uh, like the experience during that time. I think um, what happened is this last winter holiday over Christmas break, um, my family and I started doing a lot of puzzles and I got a lot more experience doing puzzles, which kinds I like, what the difficulty level has to be for me to really enjoy it. So when I bought that puzzle at Barnes and Noble, I knew that I was getting one that I would really enjoy doing. It had all the features that make it really rewarding for me. So there's this period of exploring and wiring up experience or exposure with whatever it is, the behavior or the substance in question, right? And that doesn't make for an addiction necessarily. The next piece is the critical piece, which is you need to go through an experience or set of experiences where there's uh, significant stress or distress. And that behavior or substance needs to be discovered by the brain as a suitable treatment, a suitable escape, a suitable fix. And cooped up in the Airbnb, staring down my book, lonely, isolated, all of a sudden, you know, wanting to kind of procrastinate, like not wanting to face my book, all of a sudden, the doing of that puzzle was discovered by my brain as a solution to the distress that I was experiencing. So, you know, I I sometimes look at people in, um, you know, drug and alcohol recovery who seem to be using food a little bit, but like not much to speak of. They seem to be okay with it. And I wonder, like, 
uh, during COVID, for example, was this a stretch of time? I bet it was when a lot of people who used to be able to kind of take food or leave it alone didn't really have an addictive relationship with food per se, but maybe had experienced addictive relationships with other things in the past or had a, an underlying genetic or environmental susceptibility to an, an addiction, uh, had an addictive brain in the first place. I wonder if this last year was a time when a lot of people developed food addiction. It makes a lot of sense. Alone in the house, um, a lot of stress going on, and suddenly the brain latches on to the use of this thing in particular as a suitable solution as a suitable solution. Now, let me just say that um, it takes a long time to qualify for an addiction, right? 12 months in general. So I don't have puzzle addiction disorder. <laughs> uh, I don't even know if addiction to puzzles is a real thing. I mean, it's certainly not in the DSM or anything. Um, but like all of these, like I said, all these internet games, right? Internet gaming, gosh, that's a thing. Um, and I never really thought of puzzles as being a potentially addictive experience before, but boy, they hit the spot for me this last week. But there's a certain amount of um, distress that needs to be present for it to qualify as an addictive experience as well, right? Um, I was kind of horrified watching myself. I pulled an all-nighter doing a puzzle. Like, I, I need my sleep. I had a book to write. I did get the manuscript submitted on Monday morning. Whew. Um, but I paid for it. I paid for that all-nighter. Uh, that was wicked. Uh, wow. Yeah, so that one experience does not an addict make, but it is illustrative, I think, of the wiring up process that has to happen and that crucible of distress that, uh, that needs to be in place where the brain discovers, oh, this'll do. This is this hit, this fix right here it provides enough momentary relief that I can forget. And then as it wears off, there's the horrifying awareness of, oh my gosh, I'm still here using this, doing this, and another hit needs to come in to, to mask that reality, right? Oh my gosh, again and again and again and again. Such an interesting reminder. <laughs> my brain is certifiable. So... We won't all experience that magical pairing of significant distress and a particular behavior or substance coming in to provide the relief, right? Matched enough times to wire up our brain for a particular addiction, even if we have the underlying susceptibility to addiction. Um, usually, any particular person only develops it in, you know, uh, one or two or three or four domains, but not all of them, right? There's, there's not enough life to live to get div addicted to absolutely everything. Um, but if we've got the underlying susceptibility, we're always eligible, always eligible. And that's the weekly vlog. I'll see you next week.